here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Of the Under the Dome podcast. I am Ben Belden, your host. You can find me on Twitter at bbelden330. There's a lot of places across the web that you can find the Under the Dome podcast. And I don't want to, you know, go into too long of an intro because I kind of did that the last podcast I recorded. But the bottom line is there were everywhere you could think to find a podcast, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, all of that stuff. Spread the words. Uh, to your friends, if you're a Notre Dame fan, if you have friends, family members, aunts, uncles, whatever it is, cousins, brothers, sisters, t- second cousins, twice removed, whatever it is, spread the word. We really appreciate it. We like the uh, momentum of where this podcast is going. So spread the word. Help us out. In the uh, near future, we're going to be adding a live stream feature, and uh, that'll be over at Twitch TV. So it'll be twitch.tv slash under the dome underscore ND. All of the places that we are, the easiest place to keep track of everything is underthedomend.com. That, again, that's underthedomend.com. You'll go to our website. It has links for everything. Our most recent podcast is always up on the front page, and you can find us where you can find us over there. So all that out of the way, I have Nathan Erbach on the other line. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit of some um, stuff about wrapping up the Stanford game, even though you know we're a little bit removed, but there's probably some things that still need said. And then we're going to talk about some Virginia Tech, certainly. Notre Dame, obviously, it's been announced that they are playing at 8 p.m. down in Blacksburg on Saturday, which I'm stoked about because I'll be in attendance. It'll be my second Notre Dame road game ever, and certainly my first game at Virginia Tech at Lane Stadium which, like I say, I am super pumped. Um, couldn't ask for probably, uh, you know, a better away atmosphere, I don't think. Um, but anyway, I digress. So, Nathan, how are you? Doing all right, Ben, doing all right. Obviously, Irish are 5-0, and so it's always nice to, uh, you know, go into a podcast with, especially beating one of your rivals in Stanford. So I'm, I'm doing okay, and I'm looking forward to Virginia Tech this weekend. Not going to be in attendance, but... Uh, I think I've been to a few more uh, road games than you have, so I'm okay. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. I do have a friend who is a USC fan and actually works in ticket sales for USC. And uh, one of these years I want to get out to to watch that game and um, get to a Notre Dame game on the West Coast, uh, which I assume is probably where most of yours, your away games for Notre Dame have uh, transpired. So... Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of, I guess, being out there cause I've always wanted to go to that away game, that specific away game, I suppose. So anyway, um, so 
before we start, I've got um, you know our normal little ad that I'll run, and then Nathan and I will be right back with some content after that. The Under the Dome podcast is thankful to the great people at Electrosound who graciously donated audio equipment and accessories to help make this podcast sound awesome. If you're in the market for audio consulting, the purchasing or renting of equipment, or any other audio needs, make sure that you check out their website at electrosound.com. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I sound.com. All right, so Nathan, I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about Stanford and how that game went out, and I haven't really, you know, spoken to you personally that much about the game uh, since it's happened, but, you know, I thought it was just to kind of rehash my two cents, I suppose, you know, I I thought it went about how I thought it would with, you know, the game. I always felt like Notre Dame was in control regardless of what the score was. Um, I know it was a one-possession game into the fourth quarter, but... I can't honestly say, and maybe it's just uh, – I, I don't. I guess I don't really know what it is. that I, I just thought that whatever happened, Notre Dame was going to find a way to win it at the end at the very least. And I – like I – you know, kind of like I predicted at the end, Notre Dame was able to actually kind of pull away by scoring a couple late touchdowns. So I guess for, for me, it, it went about as I thought it was. Didn't think Stanford was that good. Maybe I'm underestimating, but – um, I don't know. I thought Notre Dame did what they should have done, I guess, against a team that I thought was lesser than them. And, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me is that it seems as if Notre Dame has followed kind of the same, to a certain extent, blueprint in all of their games. Get ahead, have the defense carry the load for a while. And then recently, I guess, they are scoring in a way at the end of the game that puts the other team away. I'm obviously talking about Wake Forest and the Stanford game. So, you know, it seems like that's their identity, and I guess that's the biggest thing for me. What were your thoughts about, uh, you know, the Stanford game? Yeah, um, going going into the game, I, I don't know if I thought that, that Notre Dame would, you know, necessarily pull away to, a, to like, to the extent that they did. Um, but in my predictions – uh, before the before the uh, before the game, obviously, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned that this wasn't like your traditional Stanford team where they have a you know a really good defensive line, you know, and just you know, or, or I say really good defensive line, really good offensive line. It just becomes a battle of the trenches. I didn't think that was gonna what it was gonna be, and I thought Notre Dame would be able to score, which they were. Um, I thought Stanford would probably score a little bit more just because I thought that their receivers and their tight ends were going to be, you know, somewhat of a mismatch. And I think that they're pretty much a mismatch for anyone. Um, but it turned out that the Notre Dame defensive line um, and front seven specifically were just able to, uh, you know, dominate the line of scrimmage most of the game. And even though Stanford was able to get the, you know, 14, you know, early points, you know, they pretty much dominated from then on out and, uh, you know, and, turn it into, you know, a game that really wasn't that all that close. And I think we learned a lot about Notre Dame with Ian Book and Dexter Williams and, you know, just how dominant this defensive line can be, uh, you know, at, at certain points. Yeah, and I think, yeah. you know, we're probably going to touch on this, but I think that what Notre Dame has done is that they've gotten themselves to a pretty solid uh, place where it seems pretty obvious to me that they're <sighs> – 
they're favored in pretty much in all of their games going forward. And, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot, obviously, but what it does mean is that a lot of people, I guess, think Notre Dame is going to win all of these games. And we don't know. I mean, there's a long time between now and the USC game, and there's a long time between some some of these other games that we're going to talk about. But to me, you know, if Notre Dame is able to do what they did defensively, and that's just have, you know, I, Jerry Tillery isn't going to register four sacks every game, but if they're able to continue to disrupt the other team's passing game, they're going to be really good. I wrote, actually, and maybe I overanalyzed this a little bit, but it was a point that I wanted to touch on, that I wrote that the nickel package for Notre Dame against Stanford was going to be big because Notre Dame hadn't statistically been stellar on third downs. They were, as they entered the uh, Stanford game, they were, I think it was, they were allowing 30 out of 70. They allowed 30 out of 70, which was like 43%, which ranked them, you know, in the triple digits of FBS schools. And then they gave up 3 of 13 against Stanford because Stanford really wasn't able to uh, run the ball against them because, uh, frankly, because I just don't think that their offensive line, the way it's constructed, the way they've had to shuffle people is very good. So, um, but but here's the thing. I think Notre Dame is going to – you're going to say that a lot against – uh, most opponents is that Notre Dame's defensive front seven is just going to be able to pretty much dominate. And, uh, you know, and I was talking about all of these combinations that they could talk about um, having playing with, you know, Julian Love at the, at the nickel against bigger, better receivers and that type of thing. And really Notre Dame just stuck to their guns and they just played like their straight up nickel most of the time in third downs and they didn't do anything fancy. And I really enjoy that, to be honest with you. So I don't know. It seems like, and it's kind of funny the way that this early part of the season has gone. After a game or two, you're talking about Notre Dame not having much of an identity, and now it seems like they've got a pretty clear one. Look, um, at this point, and then obviously with the way that their front seven's playing, you know, it's, I don't think I'd ever thought I'd say this, that Notre Dame's defensive line can compete with, you know, the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio States of the world. But, you know, right now with the way that they're playing football, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to say that there's one that's definitively better in the country. So, um, you know, that's obviously refreshing. And I mean, I think they lead the entire country in QB hurries. And if they don't, it's a, they at least lead it by their edge rushers. So if you combine, uh, Aquara, Hayes, and Kareem, um, those three as edge rushers lead the lead, uh, lead the entire country in QB pressures, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think I think maybe did you tweet that your heart drops every time you see Khalid Kareem down on the on the ground? Yes, yeah, I did because it does. <laughs> yeah, I I feel the exact same way. That guy gets hurt. And I think it's probably, I mean, he hurt his ankle against Michigan, and I don't know this for sure, maybe you know, uh, but I, I, is it that ankle every single time, do you think? It sort yeah, of I seems Brian, that way. Uh, yeah, I think Brian Kelly said something uh, in his post-game press conference about how Kareem's been you know, dealing with the ankle injury, but it's nothing that um, you know is going to keep him out of games, but it's just something he's going to have to deal with all year. But it doesn't seem like it limits his explosion or anything. I, I think I was listening to the uh, Irish Illustrated podcast uh, a couple days ago, and 
Um, one of the guys on there mentioned something about how like it seems like he come, every time he goes down, he comes back in and he looks better than he did before the before he went down, and it, it's kind of true. So he, it's it's weird how he gets better when the game goes on after you know coming off of uh, <laughs> coming off the field and we're all holding our breath. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In talking about Notre Dame's defense, um, you know, uh, you and I were talking obviously before uh, before we hit play here that uh, I don't know a ton about Virginia Tech. I can't lie, but you know, I've watched a little, and I've watched a little bit of um, maybe not tape, but I've watched uh, a couple of a little bit of a couple different replays. Let's put it that way, and um, to me. And tell me if I'm wrong. I don't see any way that Virginia Tech can keep pace with Notre Dame if the you're factoring in like a level playing field, and that's Virginia. Maybe you're not because of Virginia Tech's home field advantage. Now I know a lot has been made on Twitter, especially today, about you know Virginia Tech hasn't beat a lot of top 25 teams at home over the last five, six, seven, eight years, whatever it's been. Um, and I get that, and I get those stats. Um, but Virginia Tech, I think, is back on the upswing where they were kind of in a, a little bit of a valley as, where, as far as where their program was. And anytime you get people in that atmosphere fired up, they're unveiling like the Frank Beamer statue. Of course they're doing that for Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> it's going to be an electric atmosphere, and – I don't know. It, if everything was held equal, if they were playing this game at Notre Dame Stadium, I'd be predicting a Notre Dame, you know, two, three score victory like I did against Stanford. But, you know, I think Virginia Tech is not any better than Stanford is. In fact, I don't think they're as good. But I still think that this is a closer game, and it gives me at least a moment of pause because of that. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, I mean, yeah, I think they're a good football team. And obviously, you know, everybody seems to think that they have, you know, a, a really electric atmosphere at home. And, and like you said, not necessarily a winning atmosphere at home because they haven't really beat a lot of teams recently um, that are ranked at home. But it's still, uh, you know, I think a lot of Notre Dame fans picture the Miami game last year and that gives them like pause. And I, and I think that's where a lot of this is coming from. But we have to remember that this is a different team, a new year you know, and, and a lot changes. Um, but in regards to Virginia Tech, I mean, I do think Frank Beamer still kind of has his footprint, you know, on that program a little bit. So they're still known for their defense. Um, they have a really good defensive coordinator in Bud Foster, obviously. Um, but one thing that they've been pretty good at since, um, I think it's Justin Fuente is their head coach. Um, you know, they, they've been a pretty good offensive team. I think they're averaging somewhere around 38 points a game right now, which is pretty impressive. And, you know, they've had they've played on the road three times um, and have only had one home game. But at the same time, they haven't really played that tough of a schedule. Um, and I think their toughest game so far has been at Duke. Um, you know, I think Florida State was supposed to be, you know, be a good program this year, but we all realized that they're pretty bad. And then they, you know, they kind of laid an egg against Old Dominion. But, um you know, and then their one home game was against William and Mary. So we don't really have a lot of like, I think uh, Kelly mentioned it uh, the first week that when we played, Van, uh, or the, the week we played Vanderbilt, you know, that was the first team we really had tape on. And, um, or it might have been Wake Forest. That was I'm Wake sure. Forest, that yeah. Wake Forest, it was that, that was the first team we had tape on. 
we might not have tape, like legitimate tape on Virginia Tech um, to a certain extent this year outside of maybe the Duke game. And so that might be something to kind of think about, you know, and then they've had all these injuries. They've had a lot of guys kicked up, you know, dismissed from the program. So, so it's a different different team than I think people were expecting coming into the year. So it should be an interesting game uh, that, you know, maybe a lot of Notre Dame fans don't really know a lot about about them in general. Yeah, I think that I, I think that's safe to say because you know there was a lot made coming into the season as far as you know Virginia Tech having all of the uh, you know the turnover, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and you know I think that has kind of uh, you know shown itself at certain times, you know, and they've been sort of an up and down team and a hard team to get a gauge on because they go out and they play against Florida State week one. And obviously Notre Dame fans probably watched that game because those were two opponents for Notre Dame. And uh, But then they go out and, well, then what we find out is that Florida State isn't very good and then they lose to Old Dominion and then they come back and they have a rather convincing victory against a decent Duke team. And you just don't really know how to feel about them. Um, and then you also don't really know how to feel about them because, you know, their quarterback is not who you thought the quarterback would be at the beginning of the year. And frankly, um, his name, the backup, the guy who is now starting, now eludes me. I'm going to have to maybe look this up. But um, I don't know. Have you watched whoever the heck their backup is as I search up his name? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, his name is Ryan Willis. But... There we go. Uh, he, I know he's, I know he's a transfer from Kansas. Um, so he has, you know, he has some power five experience. Uh, he's a, you know, big body kid. He can run a little bit, has, you know, has a, you know, an NFL arm, I guess, not necessarily like from an accurate standpoint, but, you know, just kind of like a Brandon Wimbush where, you know, he, you know, he definitely can make all the throws, um, from a, uh, you know, power standpoint, for lack of a better word. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy that I think you have to account for. Um, their offense hasn't really skipped a beat, you know, with, with the injury to Josh Jackson and, you know, and, and Willis coming in. Um, but, you know, overall, I still think that they haven't played a team of Notre Dame's caliber. So it's going to be it's, – it's still going to be interesting to say the least. But, uh, you know, I think, like I said, their offense does have some, have some players. They have two running backs that are – you know that have, that have performed well this year that you're going to have to keep track of, kind of like a thunder lightning combo. Um, one of them actually really reminds me of Dexter Williams, where he's just a guy that's super explosive and can, you know, run, you know, break it whenever you need him to. Um, you know, and then they have a good trio of wide receivers that I think that um, you know you can't underestimate as well. So, and you know, obviously being being at home, it's going to be a game that you know you can't take for granted. Yeah, and I think that running back, I, I'm assuming that running back that you're referencing is Steven Peoples. He's number 32. He's uh, kind of like the big play type guy for them. He has an 87-yard touchdown for the season. Um, but then I look at you know his actual yards per carry after that, and, and he's at you know five and a half. Take out that 87, and that's that's a pretty good chunk there. But um, it's interesting, I think, because I just as you were talking, looked up passing stats for uh, Virginia Tech and um, Ryan Willis. Willis, after playing you know third and fourth quarter of that uh, Old Dominion game, or maybe just the fourth, I don't quite remember, is 30 of 52. And obviously the Duke game is in this as well. I didn't make that clear. But 30 of 52, 527 yards, 
Um, not a hugely great completion percentage. It's about 58%. But, you know, if you look across the the board, he has almost, like, identical stats to Josh Jackson, except Jackson was, uh, you know, completing a little bit higher percentage of passes. So you're right. I mean, they really obviously have not skipped much of a beat with their quarterback situation. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, because – you know, like I, you know, like I said earlier, I, I think Notre Dame is going to be able to pressure him in a way that um, Old Dominion wasn't, and uh, Duke didn't, and um, in that situation. But I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. One thing I guess, and I, you know, this is a little bit. Um, I I don't know. This is a little bit of posturing, but Notre Dame special teams hasn't been good, and that makes me, I guess, a little bit anxious for this one because we all know about Beamer Ball from from years back, and that has carried over, I guess, to uh, to the current Virginia Tech team. I think um, it must have been against Florida State where they blocked a punt, um, and, you know, I'm worried, I guess, a little bit about that. It'll be interesting to see if there's, uh, you know, if special teams plays any type of a role in, in this game. And honestly, I think it could being that, you know, I would expect, and maybe I'm wrong. I would expect Notre Dame to struggle offensively a little bit early because, you know, atmosphere and trying to get everybody on the same page and, you know, just the whole, that whole, that whole deal. And, uh, hopefully what doesn't happen is that, you know, they struggle a little bit and then the scales tip in the direction of Virginia tech because of a big special teams type play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you have to get out to a you know a lead. Um, you can't you can't let this turn into a Miami situation where you know maybe they score first and you're, you're not able to capitalize on your first drive or something like that or you know whatever the case might be. You know, and then all of a sudden it becomes you know the crowd's crazy into it. You know, you got to be able to take the crowd out of the game, even if you're not. You know, even if you're struggling to a certain extent to start the game, you have to be able to take the crowd out of it by eliminating big plays on defense, which I think they're able to do because of their defense being so strong, you know, and then, you know, getting a lead fairly early, whether, I mean, kind of like how Stanford would, I mean, I think Notre Dame did, you know, they didn't score on their first drive either did Stanford, but then they came out on their second drive and they were able to score. So if you can do something like that and get, and get them, you know, get the crowd like out of the game to a certain extent, then, you know, then, then you should be okay, but you just can't let Virginia tech get out to like a seven or 10 point lead early on and then have to chase. And that's just, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to do no matter where you're playing. Yeah. And it's something that Notre Dame has tried to do and not necessarily succeeded often. Uh, when you think back to games, you know, I think about like uh, Clemson from uh, 2015, I guess that was. And, um, some other games of that nature. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, hitting the nail on the head. I want to ask you, um, you're a pretty objective guy. Where if the – and I think whenever I recorded my solo podcast a couple days back, I thought that the uh, college football playoff rankings came out a little earlier than they did. They don't come out, I think, until like later in October than I was thinking. Regardless – um, I, I think it's fair to start talking about college football playoff in this Notre Dame team and how they stack up against some of these other teams. And I just want to ask you if the college football playoff came out 
the rankings came out tomorrow and you were on the uh, committee, where would you rank Notre Dame? Yeah, so I'll just kind of walk you through. I actually tweeted something out the other day. Um, and one of me, uh, me and uh, one of our other writers, Paul Walsh, uh, kind of agreed on it. We, we both tweeted the same thing, and we didn't even see each other's tweets, which was kind of funny. Um, but I would have Alabama one. Um, I know they haven't, you know, had you know the most competitive schedule yet, but they, you know, they pretty much blow everybody out, and they're Alabama. So I mean, you have to give them credit when credit is due. You know, they've won too many national championships um, under Nick Saban, so they're they're number one for me. Uh, number two is Ohio State. You know, sort of the same concept there. I mean, they've had they've had a good schedule with playing at Penn State already and beating TCU. While Albi, it was a neutral site game. It was in TCU's backyard. Um, so that's two solid wins, and they're undefeated. So I'd have Ohio State two. And then from there, I think. I mean, really, I think Notre Dame has the most impressive resume at the moment. But because they started out in the teens, and you know, other teams have kind of done what they're doing. I would put Notre Dame at three. And, yeah, so LSU has also, you know, similar to Notre Dame, LSU, I'd slot them at four because they have an impressive road win at Auburn. And it escapes me who they beat week one. I forgot. I think it was Miami. Miami, yeah. Um, So they beat Miami. And um, that might have been a neutral site game. But, but, you know, but they won. And Miami was a ranked team and someone, you know, that a lot of people had a lot of confidence in coming into the year and have been impressive since, since losing. Um, so, yeah, I'd have LSU number four. And, you know, so, you know, the teams like Clemson and Georgia and, you know, other programs like that that are also undefeated right now, they might have, you know, some issues with those statements because, they you know, they've pretty much done what you need them to do. Um, but, you know, I think you have to – one thing I've learned about the college football playoff is that they don't care about AP polls. They don't care about coaches' polls. When it comes down to creating that top four – or that top six, I should say, um, you know, that those those coming weeks, they don't they don't look at the AP poll, and it's hard to move up the AP poll when you started out like at fifteen. Like it's hard to get to number three, like within like the top five weeks, because teams, you know, usually, you know, you have a bunch of teams that are five and zero. Oh. Um, but I, I have a hard time seeing the committee right now. Whenever it comes out, I forget as well. Um, but if Notre Dame's, you know, seven, eight, and zero oh, going into that game with wins. You know, against Michigan and against Stanford and at Virginia Tech, um, you know, then it's going to be tough for them to not have them in the in the top four with an undefeated record again with that schedule. Yeah, I uh, I really can't disagree with anything that you said, and actually, I didn't uh, I didn't uh, see you and Paul's. Um, tweets. So this was actually kind of news to me. I think maybe you guys were talking about it in the in the chat, but I wasn't really paying attention. But um, to elaborate on some of the things you said, you know, I if I were ranking them, like I think my rankings honestly are about the same as yours. So I'm not going to go through every one because I mean no one wants to hear two people say the same exact thing twice. But um, I think you're spot on with you know Alabama being one because you know it was an interesting uh, interesting thing when I was listening to yesterday. It was – I think I was watching – pardon the interruption or um, – yeah, I think it was pardon the interruption. They were talking about who is more likely to lose before the college football playoff, Notre Dame or Alabama. And it was an interesting discussion because Alabama still has you know the best of their schedule yet. They still have LSU. They still have Auburn. And they still probably have Georgia, you would think, in the SEC title game, assuming that Georgia – 
wins the SEC East. Um, that being said, um, Notre Dame doesn't have the same type of a schedule, but they also have some what I guess you could call trap-type games. You know, Navy jumps out. Uh, Northwestern, to a certain extent, drops out, although I'm less and less concerned with Northwestern as the season goes on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I said this already in the show, but you never know exactly what USC might start to figure out by the time that the end of the season's over. They could be a pretty good team. And Notre Dame hasn't exactly fared well playing in L.A. as of late. Let's just put it that way. So, um, and, and of course, you know, that being said, you know, um, Alabama has three top ten teams probably on their schedule, and they said that Notre Dame was more likely to lose a game, of course. Um, and, and But I, I get what they were saying, I, I suppose. But um, So the point, I guess, though, is that Alabama is – you're going to find out, and they're going to earn that number one seed eventually. Um, and sometimes I sort of think that the committee puts teams like – you know, they might think of Alabama as just number one because of longevity, what they've done, but also knowing that they have the opportunity to prove that ranking or else they'll fall off, I guess. Um, sometimes I kind of think they do that just a little bit, but um, I don't know. I could be wrong. But the the good thing, though, I guess, is that I don't – I mean, you might get two teams out of the SEC in, but, obviously, but you're not getting three. Um, you know, precedent has kind of, uh, you know, set that. And Notre Dame has as good as an opportunity to run the table as any. So I think, and if they do, they're they're gonna be in because they just play more Power Five schools than some of these other teams do, and they don't play these Division One Double A's and all of that stuff. So, um, and to be fair, if someone like Clemson goes undefeated, you're gonna they're gonna be in the college football playoffs. So that would automatically knock out likely a, a you know. An, a second SEC team or, or whatever. I don't see an undefeated Notre Dame team being knocked out, but if there's like a, a 12 and one, a 12 and one SEC team, they're going to get knocked out if Clemson goes undefeated. Yes. Yes. That's a good point. I was, I thought that. Or if Oklahoma goes undefeated, for example, as well. Right. Right. I think, you know, who would you say is more likely to, uh, to lose between, Oklahoma and Clemson. Uh, that's a tough question. I think I tend to think the Big Twelve is a weaker conference. That's just my personal opinion. I know that they've shown pretty well so far this year. Um, you know, like Texas seems to be playing pretty well. Um, you know, and then West Virginia is having a good year and stuff like that. Um, but I, I haven't. Yeah, that, we haven't even said West Virginia, and they're undefeated. But yeah, go on. Sorry. Um, but I do. I do think that Oklahoma is a little bit more vulnerable. I'm still not a complete believer in Kyler Murray, the quarterback. Um, and I. But then again, now Clemson's down to a freshman QB, and even though he was the number one recruit in the country and he just got hurt and you know, there's no Kelly Bryant now so you know they're pretty vulnerable as well so actually I think I'm going to change my tune I just kind of convinced myself <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to go with Clemson being uh the, mo- the least likely of the two to go undefeated um interesting tidbit of information here that I can't remember where I heard this or where I, when I realized this but Oklahoma and West Virginia play the Friday after Thanksgiving, which is obviously the last week of the regular season in college football. And if they're both undefeated, 
at that time, you know, one of them will be the Big 12 regular season champion, and then they'll probably play again one week later for the Big 12 title, um, which will... Does the Big 12 have a title game now? I forget. I believe they do. I believe they do. Okay. Unless I'm completely nuts, I believe that they actually have a title game now. Um, Okay. But now you're... I don't know. I can't say I'm 100% convinced. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so, but can you think of, I mean, oh my goodness, like the mayhem that would ensue if those two teams play back-to-back weeks and they split. um, That, uh, I mean, I don't really want to think about what would happen because there would be some sort of argument and then there would be this terrible argument about the college football playoff. Well, which one matters more? You know, the, the, the regular season air quotes one or the uh, championship air quotes one. And yeah. uh, I don't know. So probably you would say the championship one because that's played on a neutral field. But who the heck knows? So anyway. Um, and I'm a firm believer. I don't, I don't understand the argument that people have against Notre Dame with, you know, only playing 12 games and not being in a conference. I've never understood that, and honestly, like maybe maybe we're biased as Notre Dame fans, but I just don't see it. I mean, Notre Dame continuously plays one of the tougher uh, schedules in the country, and obviously sometimes it's more down than up because you know, like especially like this year, FSU isn't as good. Virginia Tech had some injuries. You know, people thought Northwestern might be a top twenty-five team this year, and they're not looking like that. USC's kind of down, I guess. Um, you know, so you kind of you look at those kind of things, and it's like, well, there's really nothing Notre Dame can do about that, A. And then, B, I think that they look at Notre Dame as a Power 5 team in the sense that if they're going to go 12-0, and 0, you know, they've already proven that, you know, they, they're they one of the better teams in the country and that they would probably win one of those conferences based off how many teams they played each of those conferences. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, that's, uh, I think that's fair to say. Um I don't know. I think that – I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that most years if Notre Dame goes 11-1, and one, they're going to make the college football playoff because of what you just said. I'm not so sure about this year in particular. Um, I don't think that there's going to be more than probably – it just seems like every year we have this conversation around this time, like how many teams are going to be undefeated at year's end. And it seems like what people say are that there's going to be – there could be four or five or even six – Undefeated teams at year's end, um, if you factor in, you know, some of the uh, non-Power 5 schools even, um, like the UCFs of the world. Yeah. Um, And so what are you going to do? And, I mean, I I don't think that that's – I mean, UCF might go undefeated. I I honestly – whatever. But, like, I don't think there's going to be more – I don't think there's going to be four undefeated teams. Let's put it that way. Um, Yeah. So – Absolutely. I don't know. So an undefeated Notre Dame is not getting knocked out. I think I, I would put a lot of money on that. Um, but in this particular year, I, I don't know that an 11-1 and Notre Dame team gets in. And obviously, I mean, it's almost a moot point to talk about, I suppose, because you just don't know what's going to happen elsewhere. But it just seems like yeah. in every conversation or every combination that um, I don't like – the likelihood of an 11 and one Notre Dame team getting in, but I don't know. Yeah. I think the, honestly, I think the only way 11 and one Notre Dame team gets in is if they lose this weekend in a, in a, in a really close game, they can't get blown out like they did last year against Miami. Right. It's gotta be something like, you know, 31 to, you know, 30 or something like that. And, you know, someone kicks a game winning field goal or whatnot. 
and you know and then they go out and dominate the rest of the year including you know beating um you know at usc beating fsu who still has some talent you know winning on the road at northwester you know things like that can still get you know and obviously then other things have to fall into place where you know oklahoma and west virginia are both have one loss as well clemson has one loss you know separate things like that have to happen but whoever the heck um, is second that, in the sec isn't very good that type of stuff yeah, yeah or yeah they, like their resume is not as good or whatever you know so on and so forth one thing i do agree with you on is the ucf thing and i think because of last year they're getting some pub um that you know maybe they they wouldn't have gotten but at the same time like and maybe UCF fans would get upset about this, but they're still not going to get in over any other, any undefeated team in, the, in a power five or, or Notre Dame. If Notre Dame is undefeated, UCF's not going to be ahead of them. If, you know, if West Virginia is undefeated, UCF's not going to be ahead of them. It's just not going to work out that way because they don't play a tough enough schedule. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, before we close out here, um, what do you think the, the possibility of Notre Dame going undefeated is? How are you? How do you feel? Uh, better than I did before the season, <laughs> right? Um, I think I think our predictions. I, a lot of us had no confidence in our in our predictions because we really didn't know what Brandon Wimbush would be, and we still don't know what Brandon Wimbush would be. I guess, but we've we've learned what Ian Book can be and what probably what he will be the rest of the season, and he just seems to be a guy that's developed like no other quarterback that Kelly's had has developed, which is intriguing to me. Um, so I feel like, I think it's like you said, I think they're going to be favored in all in the rest of their games. And at the moment they are, and as, as long as they don't have a slip up and, you know, and they play with, you know, I think, you know, Kelly always uses those weird terms like, you know, grit and whatever attention but, you know, to they, detail, attention to detail, whatever he uses a lot of them. I know that. <laughs> um, but if, uh, if, you know, if they, if they stay within, you know, within themselves and they take every game seriously, um, you know, then I, I find it hard to, you know, that any team's going to out-talent them, I guess. So um, I would probably put it at about like 50-50 that they go undefeated right now. I think losing Alex Bars is a bigger deal than people want to want to talk about. Uh, I do like the depth of their offensive line, but Alex Bars was, you know, I think honestly by far their best one this this season so far um so losing him is a big deal um and you know they're just maybe an injury or two away and you don't like to talk about it but they're injury or two away of you know that being a a bigger issue so um so yeah i'd put it at about 50 50 right now yeah i kind of can't believe now that we're sitting with you know six minutes left or whatever uh maximum in this podcast that uh we haven't spoken about alex bars yet um I kind of, I guess I kind of forgot. I tried to file that one away in the uh, traumatic events category that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, I I was thinking earlier today that uh, if Alex Bars, like say Alex Bars got hurt, um, maybe even early on against Michigan, do they hang on against Michigan or, or do they beat, uh, they probably beat Ball State still, but do they beat Vanderbilt or, you know, I don't know. I, I Probably still they do, but... I mean, it certainly throws a wrench in the system. I'm glad, though, I guess, that, uh, you know, it's kind of nice that uh, Trevor Ruland filled in for Tommy Kramer um, against Wake Forest, and, and he's not making his first start against 
Virginia Tech on the road. He's at least got a start under his belt, and he played obviously important minutes down the stretch against uh, against Stanford as well. So that's reassuring. He looked, you know, he's always looked, you know, pretty good to me at uh, at guard, and he filled in well against Stanford, like I said. But um, yeah, I. Uh, Man, if there were guys, I guess, at the beginning of the year that you could circle as guys like you really, really – I mean, you don't want to lose anyone, obviously. But if there were guys that you had to pick maybe your top five of guys you couldn't lose, I would have probably said Alec Bars is up there because of how much you know turnover there was on the offensive line. Now, at least it seems like the offensive line has gotten themselves together a little bit that I feel a little bit tad more comfortable about losing Alex Bars. Um, I mean, I, that even just sounded stupid in the way I said, I'm not comfortable losing Alex bars because (laughs) that's a major injury, but like, it doesn't give me the same type of like high stress anxiety that it would, you know, had it happened earlier on in the season, I suppose. Um, even though those games weren't as, uh, you know, didn't have quite the magnitude that, uh, you know, this upcoming one does. So I don't know. That's, uh, rough for Alex. I, you know. It seems like he's been around for forever and uh, didn't think he would go out this way, unfortunately. But anyway, I, yeah. I digress. And, I, and I'm with you. I mean, I think Rulin has, you know, it's a good thing that he's a veteran presence and he's been around for a couple of years now. So that's good, even though, you know, like you said, he doesn't have much starting experience. But it's good to have, like, you know, you're not placing a true freshman in that spot or even a guy you know, who's maybe only been in the program for one year. You know, you're looking at a guy who's a, who's a junior. Um, you know, and has been a guy that is, has been counted upon as a backup player in the past. So, um, you know, he's, he's been around the block a little bit, and that's always good news. Yes, yes, absolutely. Any uh, any closing thoughts before we uh, head on out of here? No, I don't think I have any. All right, all right. Well, I guess that means uh, my job as a host was done very thoroughly, so I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm excited as all heck, and obviously I'm sure you are too about this game. Like I say, I, I can't wait personally to be there. Um, but it's another, I, I don't know. To me, I feel like this is, and I hope this trend continues, that this is kind of like the season of getting the monkey off our back. You know what I mean? Like last year we had, you know, the week two close home loss at night against Georgia and we kind of were able to um, get that monkey off of our back by beating both, I guess, Michigan and Stanford. Um, And now we have the opportunity to kind of go against a top 25 team in a hostile environment um, and sort of get, you know, the, primetime away game monkey off our back potentially if we can uh cash in um i love the way that we're playing defensively right now i love the way you know the best way i can describe the the way i feel about ian book is that he's just a guy that to me i obviously don't know a lot about his personality but he seems trusting in like the coaching staff i guess and in the positions they're putting him in and he's doing what they ask and i think that just bodes well you know for this team moving forward so i don't know the vibe is good I like, uh, I don't know, I like Notre Dame by, you know, probably a couple scores. So, um, I don't know. I, I really wasn't planning on giving a formal prediction. But, you know, check out, for look for my formal prediction uh, on Slap the Sign as well as Nathan's as well uh, later on this week. We put those out on Thursday or Friday usually. So, anyway, um, Nathan, thanks for joining me this evening. 
Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. And what's that? I was gonna say it's always it's always good to get on the podcast. Yes, yes, it's a it's a fun time. So, um, listeners, thanks for uh, tuning in. Remember to check out underthedomend.com. It has it's your it's your best landing spot for all of our platforms. If you're looking to try to find us on iTunes or whatever, if you just go to that website, you can click the little iTunes thing and it'll take you right there on whatever device you're on. It's real nifty, and I'm happy that I've put it together. Like I say, in the near future, we'll be rolling out some of that live stream stuff on Twitch and YouTube. But for now. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Irish. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Critics agree. Nora and the Lost City of Gold is the family film you've been searching for. Go get it! It's packed with action, full of surprises, and will knock your boots off. The discovery of a lifetime. Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Rated PG. Now playing.